Welcome on in the Tony Parks Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of this. Each and every single episode, it's all right there for you. On Spotify, Google Play. Also available the Utah Podcast Network. Thanks so much uh, for joining us each and every single episode. I, I love talking about a number of different subjects, but I don't think... I'll enjoy talking about anything more than I love talking about college football. Uh, for Ute fans out there, we have the podcast that I released uh, talking about the decade that was when looking at being in the Pac-12 so far. And today we talk some BYU football about kind of where they are at this exact moment. Going forward, what it's going to take uh, to put a few more smiles on BYU fans' faces on a Saturday. Um, more often than what they've had uh, in some of the past years. So we're going to get right to that. Uh, thanks so much for your support of the show. You can follow me on all forms of social media at Tony Parks 801. Uh, you can email me Tony Parks 801 at gmail.com. Uh, been ex- so excited, by the way, to tell this story for a long time as I lift the curtain today. Uh, lifting the curtain, we do this every single episode, or at least I try to kind of give a fun story that was behind the scenes that maybe people didn't know about, give you some insight, uh, give you some character or flavor to a story or the unknown parts to an event uh, that maybe I didn't have time to tell when I was hosting a show because it would have taken so long to get into or um, just maybe something I think that would be of note that you might want to know. Anyway, handful of years ago, I was hosting the show that I was on. Uh, it was a Friday afternoon, and every Friday I did a segment during the last part of the show called Coach Lou. And I would do the Lou Holtz impersonation while picking out all the games for the upcoming weekend, and it, it was a lot of fun. And so I used to do this, and I would get names wrong on purpose, mix up the teams, call people by the wrong name. It was fun because that Lou Holtz, who was on TV at the time, was truly making some of those same mistakes, and it became a funny bit. Now, at the time, Ron McBride and Lavelle Edwards, they would be coming on the air during the very next show. So shortly after I did this segment, that show was always on at a location on Fridays. So, like, we're in studio that show would be at a car dealership or something, right? So Ron McBride and Lavelle would always hear this segment on their drive in to be at that car dealership. It would be a part of their drive when getting there. So I remember hearing them talk about it, laughing and saying that the Coach Lou segment was really funny and that they enjoyed it. So one day I was doing it, and I don't know why, but we we brought up BYU. I don't remember why BYU was a part of the conversation uh, for Coach Lou. And Lavelle Edwards was a part of the conversation, too. Um, Jake Scott asked me something about Lavelle, and Lavelle beat Coach Holtz back in, I think it was 1994, and it was at South Bend. It was a, a great BYU win. And I, being Coach Lou, I went off and said something like, I'll tell you something right now. That BYU team is a bunch of cheaters. Every single one of those guys cheat. They came in there, they cheated. I still don't like Coach Lavelle because I think he is a man that went in there and he paid off those referees. And I know he paid those referees. It was like that movie Wildcats, the one with Goldie Hawn, when she's standing there coaching, and the one guy gave the referee some money, and the coach gave people some money. I think he gave them free caffeine, Dr. Pepper, or something like that. That's why our team so had so many penalties that day. That game wasn't fair, plus all their kids are older than our kids, and I think that game needs to be taken off the record books. Now, I have no idea if they had penalties or anything. I'm just messing around, right, on the air. It doesn't matter if there's accuracy. It just, it's just it's being Coach Lou. So Lavelle hears this in his car, right, and he's driving, and he hears this in his car, and I'm thinking he might hear it, and he'll probably think it's funny. 
So he shows up to the car dealership and that he's doing his next show up. And he walks up to my boss who was there at the time and they're, you know, getting ready to come on the air. They have a commercial break or something. And he goes, hey, um, I uh, heard that Coach Lou segment again. And I, I listen to it every week. But I, uh, I didn't appreciate what was, you know, said about me. And so my boss is like, oh, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Hey, I, I'll get that handled right away, and I'll, I'll make sure it never happens again. Now, my boss didn't, he may not have even heard it because he was already at the dealership and getting stuff ready. So he may not have even heard that. He's just going, oh, okay, Lavelle, I'll get ahead of that. So Lavelle goes, no, no, I'll take care of this one myself. And my boss is like, oh, well, really? Because I, I can just make one phone call and it's done. You let me know, man. We'll, we'll make sure that this is handled. And he goes, no, I've, I've known Coach Holtz for a long time. I'm just really confused that he feels that way about me. And from the way I was told the story, I wasn't there. But apparently every person has their eyebrows raised and their eyes are big and they're looking at him going, no, 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 no. That, that's not Lou Holtz. No, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, uh, Coach Lavelle, Lavelle, that's not actually Lou Holtz. No, that that's Tony Parks. He does impersonations. It's it's all for fun and it's all a joke and and it's a spoof and and no, he doesn't feel that way about you. And I'm told that the look Coach Edwards had on his face was hilarious when he came to the realization that every time he was listening to the Coach Lou segment, it wasn't actually Lou Holtz, a friend of his in the coaching world. And of course, uh, of course, I, I hold the, the late Coach Edwards to the highest level of respect and really enjoyed all the times that uh, I had a chance to be around him. Um, but I thought it would be fun today to kind of share the cool story about how my impersonation of a friend of his made him think that those guys weren't actually friends for a moment. And so it always <laughs> it had this crazy moment uh, where I was told about it uh, by one of my bosses who goes, yeah, you don't realize what just happened but, yeah, Lavelle Edwards totally thought Lou Holtz had weird, horrible, bizarre things to say about him. So, anyway, rest in peace, uh, Coach Edwards. Uh, love you uh, and uh, certainly love what he did for so many in this community and, and obviously for BYU football. Uh, what a great man. Now, many other people knew him better than I did, but every time I was around the guy, I couldn't have been more impressed. Like, he was truly the nicest human being uh, I think I've ever crossed paths with. All right, uh, let's get to BYU football. Uh, because this conversation is something I, I really have wanted to talk about for a while. I touched on this a little bit when I would be hosting shows, but segments are a lot shorter, and there's a lot of other different um, subjects going on, and so you don't get the chance to get the roots to this conversation that I wanted to. So BYU football has constantly had the conversation about what it's going to take to be a better football program, Right? People still remember the glory days when BYU was winning awards, 10 games a year, national championship. They won some conference titles. And I, and I feel like there is a really big list of things that people want to attack when thinking about how to get back to playing at a great level. And I have some myths that I want to break down. There's a Bronco Mendenhall part of this conversation. And I think it is critical overall. And I think it'll be a good uh, conversation. So thanks so much for being a part of this. The first thing I want to do is take some of the comments that I've heard over a ton of the previous years, especially like the last 10 years, when talking about BYU. And while they hold some truth, they don't stand as the biggest reason for the shortcomings in the program, right? So number one, you hear this all the time. Got to join a conference. Got to join a conference. 
And you'll hear this from national uh, writers and, and media members and all that. You'll hear people on the national level be like, this was an egregious mistake to go independence. I mean, for them not to swallow their pride and go to the Mountain West shows that they know they've made a mistake here. And, and I don't know what they're thinking. Go back to the Mountain West. Well, okay, they've got to join a conference. That'd be nice to be in the P5, and that'd solve the problems for everybody right then and there. I mean, the money would be there. The resources would be there. This would be a huge deal, no doubt about it. But I'm telling you, going back to the Mountain West Conference would be a terrible idea in terms of money because the money that is there, I'm telling you, is significantly less than what they're making as an independent program. So they're not just running a program to try and win games. They're running a business. So the idea that they just need to get into a conference so they can say they're in a conference so they can play against weaker competition more often and then try to compete for a division title and like all of that is wonderful. And for the fan, I'm listening to you because some of you out there might be like, well, I don't care. Why do I care? I just want to see my team go win. I'm sick and tired of watching my team, you know, deal with the stuff that's in independence. And then you're saying, man, you know, late in November, we're not really competing for anything. We're just playing. Like, as a fan, I'm not saying your frustration about that is not valid. As media members, even, your frustration about that is not, like, invalid. It's not, because I get, as a media member, just me even covering the team and hosting shows, thinking, man, this sucks that the BYU conversation right now is that it sucks that they're not competing for a division title. Or that the standings aren't where they are. They need to win, and they need this team to lose, and then... Like, it sucks that doesn't exist because the intrigue does go away. So I'm not saying that independence doesn't have its drawbacks. It totally has its drawbacks. And for media members and fans, I'll listen to those. But it's really tough when you're operating a program to then suddenly say, you know what, eat all that money, let's just make ourselves happy here. Because running the business and trying to please media and fans sometimes don't always have the exact same uh, uh, formula of execution to truly end up with great results. It just, it doesn't. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing that I hear all the time. Uh, number two, need to start spending like the big boys. I hear this all the time. You know what? If you're going to be like the big boys, you got to start spending like the big boys. Well, here's the problem for BYU. They have more money than all the other G5s in that TV deal, but they don't have the kind of money P5 teams do. So you can't spend like the big boys because you don't have big boy money. It, it doesn't matter. If you don't have the money, you can't do it. Um, the three kind of goes a little bit into one. Independence is killing this program. And independence has its negatives, but it also has its positives. But I feel like independence has also been used as a convenient scapegoat and as a masking agent to cover many other issues that independence is actually not the fault of. It's just comfortable, and it's easy, and it makes everybody feel better. So as it gets just thrown out there, many people, whether it's media, fans, whatever, they just jump on, and they're like, yeah, right, right, independence sucks. It's why all this is happening. And I'm about to go through a number of things and show why independence, while it has its drawbacks, is not actually to blame for some of the things it keeps being blamed for. Uh, number four is that the honor code is hurting the program. And there's no doubt the honor code has its drawbacks, too, uh, but they also won many other awards and titles and all of that and had successful years while dealing with it. It doesn't mean I even agree with all of it. doesn't mean that I don't want to see changes to it. Um, but if we're arguing competition and success on the field, it's always been an obstacle. 
and no one was pointing to this before with the exception of the like the last handful of years. And that's because the results are now not what you want them to be. So you're looking for all these extrinsic things that you can identify and then try to say that that is the end-all, be-all, ultimate reason for the shortcomings. Once again, all four things that I've just brought up all have an impact on the program. The point of this podcast is not to say that these things mean nothing. It's to say that if we're going to get to the real reasons why the shortcomings are there, these things all play a role, but not as big as you think. So let's get into it. Most of the complaints about the program and the changes that people want to see happen are legit and understood. But you have to start somewhere. And the first step to winning is eliminating losing. The conversation about BYU has constantly been about getting things better in a better place when looking at everything involving their rival. I hear about it all the time. While the bar that has been set is the Utes, and I totally understand that, and the Cougars have some really bright moments against some other Power 5 teams, the one thing that has to start happening first is that BYU's got to get back to playing at a premier level against teams that are in their own weight class. Because that team last year had no business losing to South Florida and Toledo. They had no business no-showing in the game at San Diego State. And their performance level was littered with losing mistakes against Hawaii in the bowl game. So all of the things that I hear about involving recruiting budgets and conference affiliation and facilities and everything else has very little or nothing to do with falling to the last place team in the MAC West or losing to a 2-6 and six team out of the American. And, and, and I've said this when dealing with BYU time and time again. Just because there was a correlation doesn't mean that it's a causation. And I constantly feel like correlation is being treated as causation when talking about BYU football. So the first thing that BYU has to start doing is becoming one of the best teams in their weight class. Bronco Mendenhall, when he was the coach of BYU, during the independent years, his program was 28-7 and against G5 teams. They absolutely had a loss against San Jose State that sucked. No doubt about that. But that was usually the exception. Well, since he's been gone, BYU is 11-12 and 12 against G5 teams. They are 15-13 and 13 if you include the independent teams outside of uh, Notre Dame, right? And then in the last three years, they're 7-11 and 11 against the G5s. 10-12 and 12 if you include those indies. That's ridiculous. They're better than that even with all these things that we're talking about that impact the program. They're better than that. They have the talent to win at Wisconsin, to beat USC at home. They are capable of beating Utah, even though it's an uphill climb and it would be considered at, at very least a mild upset, right? So you're capable of all that. You can't sit here and tell me that it's something extrinsic that's keeping BYU from breaking even against their own weight class over a, uh, a three-year period of time. That's intrinsic. That's operational. You have to quit blaming outside stuff for performances like that. You just, you do. It's ridiculous. And I've given this example a hundred times. I, I, I would say this on the air. Let's say I have a son who is a student. And he's usually a pretty good one. Not valedictorian, but usually like honor roll level, right? And let's say we had a really tough year. Family emergency, had to move, changing schools, and then my son has a report card that is much worse than it usually is. 
And, you know, you kind of start to understand that because they're dealing with some extrinsic things that became a challenge. Now, if he has a C-plus in trigonometry, you, you shrug your shoulders and you understand that. If he has a C in AP chemistry, I'm going to be understanding. But if he has a D-plus in gym or choir, I don't want to hear it. And while the difficulties of the year are understandable, while the change in performance is understandable, they can't be applied to that kind of shortcoming. So if BYU wants to tell me that the reason they haven't beaten Utah in a decade is because they have extrinsic disadvantages against them, I'll listen to it. Because BYU hasn't had the better team in that matchup with the better players in a long time. That's reasonable. They didn't have players that could, you know, you don't have Jalen Johnson out there, Bradley and I. You know, you don't have Lucky Foe, too. You don't have dudes like that just littered all over the field. You don't have the better team. So if you don't win, I'm like, okay, right, I'll listen to that. It's reasonable. But if you're going to tell me that because of those shortcomings, you're falling to last place Mac West teams, two and six American teams, getting manhandled against a good Utah State team two years ago, falling to UMass three years ago, that's horrible. So we have to look into why that's happening. So before we do that, I want to examine what has happened with Bronco Mendenhall. And you'll see why I'm making this comparison in a minute. Okay, I mentioned that he was 28-7 and against the G5 when BYU was an independent. That's what he did against his own weight class. right? So he heads to Virginia, and that program was flat-out awful for so many years. Uh, just getting back to a bowl game is considered a miracle. He then takes them to the Orange Bowl, as you know, this past year. But go look at what he actually did to make that happen. He didn't do anything overwhelmingly spectacular. Now, going to the Orange Bowl is viewed as spectacular. I'm not going to deny that. So the destination is great. And no one in that program should ever apologize for being in a New Year's Six game or being a New Year's Six team. But if you look at the process of what happened, it wasn't anything groundbreaking. He just started beating teams that are in his weight class and teams that, that they're better than. He coached in a division that is one of the very worst in the Power Five, maybe the worst, right? So look at all the teams they played up against. Eight of them, total on the season, are teams that are staring at them eye to eye. Outside of that, like Clemson is far out of their weight class, and so is Florida. And I'll give them props, by the way. They hung with Florida um, and, and actually played them a lot better than I thought they would. So, so how did they do this? How did they make this happen? Well, the first step to winning is eliminating losing. Go watch their games. Rarely, if ever, they lost the turnover battle. I think they had one bad penalty game. That's it. They had one. Now, if they wanted to compete with Clemson or Florida, right, then they would need an upgrade in talent. They would need a huge boost in talent to make that a realistic possibility. But until then, they had an opportunity to beat the teams that are right there in that same category. They won majority of those games. They had a big bowl game uh, that tied in with their conference affiliation, and they landed in a New Year's Six. So what did they do in those eight games? Lost the penalty battle once, had three or fewer penalties in half of those games, Lost the turnover battle a few times, but never had more than two in a game. And they averaged one per game. That's pretty good. Their defense, nothing explosive. Absolutely nothing explosive. They had four of the eight games without getting a takeaway. And that's actually one of the criticisms I've, I've ever had of a Bronco Mendenhall defense. Like, you, you credit a lot of his defenses because he, he does such a good job coaching it. 
but they were never great at getting takeaways, most of his teams. Um, But they were excellent at not giving up big plays. They tackled really well, right? The fundamentals. They did their one out of 11 pretty consistently. And then when other teams made mistakes, they pounced all over them. All over them. This was a historic Virginia team. But if you look deeper, this team wasn't as great as they'll get remembered for. They, they weren't. As a matter of fact, all conference first team, one player. And it was an all-purpose player, Joe Reed. All conference second team, one player. Quarterback Bryce Perkins. Good player, by the way. Not an NFL draft pick or anything, but a good player. So overall, they didn't have one first team or second team all-conference defensive player during an all-time historic season. So talent-wise, they weren't anything tremendous. They just did a great job of perfecting the little things, avoiding catastrophic mistakes, and other losing plays. An all-time season for Virginia football, and they ended up with two players drafted, both in the fifth round. For BYU to do the equivalent in their own weight class, it doesn't take astounding levels of of high-level performance or some Heisman candidate. I mean, it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't even take a couple of fifth-round draft picks, even though that wouldn't hurt either. So upgrade in talent, sure, every team could use that. But, man, there's a lot more that they can do that's in their control. Six of the eight Virginia wins I would categorize as one-possession wins. They beat Virginia Tech by nine, but that was a two-point game with under a minute to go, and then you had that fumble uh, for a touchdown, fumble recovery for a touchdown that put the game away. So I, I would personally put that in the category of one possession win. Um, by the way, th- this is not to criticize Virginia. This is to show that the basics of what Virginia did is something that BYU should absolutely be doing. There is no reason that they couldn't replicate this against the teams that they are staring eye to eye with. So some of you will see this as a negative podcast or like I'm bashing BYU. No, I'm, I'm actually letting you know that there's some positivity to this because being a supreme team as a non-Power 5, it's right there. It's actually not as hard to attain as BYU is making it look. They're making this look much tougher than it needs to be. It's, it's not an insurmountable task. I think it's actually quite a simple task. If they take care of the simple, they are going to be fine. They've actually done the hard thing. You know, they're, they're like that, that uh, uh, fielder in baseball that makes the hard play look easy sometimes but can make the easy play look a little harder than it should be. So here they are at being Virginia with a bunch of close games against teams that are close to them in weight class. They win 75% of those games because they avoided awful mistakes. They perfect the little things. They eliminated losing plays. And when they made losing plays, they lost both times. BYU and their losses among those eight similar games that we're talking about, they are littered with losing plays. You know them, too. You know these plays I'm talking about if you're a BYU fan. Catastrophic turnover in the Toledo game towards the end. Two missed field goals when your team was dictating the terms in the first half. Bad personal foul penalty when it appeared you would stop the drive on third down. All of that after not being able to get stops uh, in that fourth quarter, and you won the turnover battle 3-1. to one. Then in the USF game, you win the turnover battle, you win the penalty battle by a mile, and you lost the game after leading the entire game. 
And then it's just the little mistakes. Katoa with poor pass pro, you settle for a field goal. First and goal from the two, you settle for a field goal. Miscommunication in the secondary, you give up a deep touchdown. When your team was in control, Pututau misses a block on second and nine, you settle for another field goal. Mishandled snap on a punt, and the defense just couldn't get stops at all when you needed them to. And you lose to a team that, quite frankly, I'm sorry, you should not be losing to. No way. I don't care about road game, two time zones. Don't care. And, and I don't even excuse it with playing with a second and third string quarterback. Those QBs, by the way, were good. Those are good players, Hall and Romney. Those are not your usual second and third string quarterbacks for a team. The San Diego State game it was one of the most bizarre. I mean, Hefo with a fair catch over the shoulder at the five with no one around him. Like, what are you doing? Missed two field goals at 26 yards. One bad pick in the middle of the field. Poor blocking leads to a strip sack on a flea flicker. I mean, that could have been an explosive game-changing play, and instead it goes the other way. You held Hawaii to two yards rushing and lost because of a fumble at the goal line. Might have been a bad call, no doubt about it. I wish they'd have had a goal line game. Um, but he did give up the ball. Like, you got you to do what it takes to take care of the football, especially at the goal line. Uh, defense couldn't get key stops, and it blew up on him. They just couldn't. So, here you are throughout this whole entire thing. There were times when things started to get bad for BYU, and they got worse in a hurry. And that was a bad sign at times of this team's mental toughness. Uh, that's another area that you're going to have to get better in. I mean, you can't give them a hall pass in this area. That's something that they have to improve in uh, all the way around culturally. I mean, I, I know I'm going to give this example. Hey, even in their loss to Utah, right? Uh, they have a third and one when they're in a good spot on the field and they need a key yard against the U. This is like the first half. And getting that key yard against Utah is a beast for anyone to try and pick up. It's tough, man. Utah makes it hard on everyone. And Utah puts the stress on the opposing team there, but BYU gets a false start. Then a holding penalty. Now the possession's over when you play a defense like that. You know, I mean, th there you go. Th those are self-inflicted wounds that you're not even giving yourself a chance there. They're down 10 late in the third quarter. You're not out of it. You're down, but you're not out of it. couple big plays, and here you go. And they have Utah backed up with a third and 27. Get a stop. You might have some field position. Make this a one-score game. Instead, they get called for a face mask after they get the ball carrier out of bounds. Just a brutally pathetic mistake. So Utah runs another four minutes off the clock. They miss a field goal, which is to your team's benefit. But now you are backed up. Instead of prime field position, you're backed up against a great defense. And then to make matters worse, you fumble the handoff exchange, self-inflicted wound, and give them great field position, which they cash in on. And now it's just about done. I mean, here you are trying to maybe make it a, a one-possession game with a good drive, and suddenly in the blink of an eye, it's a three-possession game, and the crowd's out of it. And then, like, and then here's what BYU would do. They would compound this whole thing. So then for no good reason right after that, the kickoff, you take the ball eight yards out of the end zone against a special teams that you know is faster than you are, but you just run it out anyway, and you get tackled at, like, the 10. Before you know it, deflection, pick six, and it's nine losses in a row. Most of these were self-inflicted wounds that I've talked about here. And for the record, by no means... Do I think that BYU had the better team or the even team with Utah? And I don't think it was their mistakes alone that decided the game. 
But I do believe it was their mistakes that completely kept them from having their best chance. And the mistakes ultimately ended their chances too. So when you're not the better team, you at least need to give yourself your best chance. And BYU did not do it that night at all. Losing to Utah should be frustrating in the emotional sense as a fan, right? Because it's the rivalry, so it should never feel good. But then when examining the game, knowing that you don't have the better team, you try to examine it on based on whether or not you, you, your team gave themselves you know, the best punch they could possibly throw. I mean, that's been the, the frustrating thing for me as like a Michigan fan, right? Michigan losing to a better Ohio State team is infuriating. It already is. But getting beat 62-39 to 39 with Ohio State's coaching staff running circles around Michigan's and Michigan just being in their own head the whole time, that's infuriating because they're not giving themselves even their best chance for it. So losing to them sucks anyway, and they don't have the better team. Then when you tack that onto it, it's like, okay, well, now you've barely even showed up. So the Cougars are clearly capable of spectacular wins, right? The win over USC at home, giving Boise State their only loss of the year with a third-string quarterback. That's a great win. And they were in control for most of that game, right? You, you trounced a good, but not great, uh, good Utah State team. Um, you know, you, you, you play them at a time where they're trying to figure out what the heck they're doing in the middle of the year. They kind of fell off, but you didn't just go beat them. I mean, you smashed them. You had almost like 700 yards of offense. It was crazy. So that shows BYU is capable of doing some great things. But it's also showing that their biggest problems are not extrinsic. Now, I'm not saying, just back to Virginia here for a second, I'm not saying that Virginia didn't have mistakes, but their mistakes were nowhere nearly as costly, and they didn't make as many of them. So the standard for Virginia is not to beat Clemson in the final score of that conference title game, 62-17. to We'll tell you everything about the gap between those two teams. Um, but in the meantime, Virginia had a realistic shot of winning games against teams they look eye-to-eye with, and it was the simple stuff to prevail in those contests. So the standard for BYU is not to go, you know, 5-1 and one against the P5 in any random year in their schedule. If Utah's operating right, it's brutally tough with a roster that's not as talented and with resources that are nowhere near as good to be able to go out there and then suddenly start evening out this series, even if you grew up with it that way. It doesn't matter what your emotions tell you. You know, the the facts are the facts based on what's going on in the field. So that standard is unrealistic, but let's just move it right back into what is realistic. There's no reason why BYU couldn't or shouldn't do the same thing that Virginia did within their own sort of uh, category of college football because this is where they have to start. But far too often, though, back to what I was talking about earlier in this podcast— They are falling in love with other things to complain about, and I feel like those things are becoming comfortable excuses and they are becoming distractions to ignore the most pressing issue when looking at how and when this team is not performing well. And it's not doing the program any favors. It's not doing the players any favors. I don't think it's doing the staff any favors. I don't think it's doing the fans any favors. And I would venture to guess that it's one of the reasons that they've had some of the same problems. So they love to get in their own way. That's been the issue. Getting in their own way has happened with way too much regularity. And I don't think it's helpful to just make independence or how they're spending money or the honor code as the scapegoat for all of it because it doesn't apply in some of these specific examples, even if it's an additional truth that could and should be examined. 
You know, it's it's like uh, it's like a, a family that is struggling with finances. So they point out the need for you know, I need a better job, need better pay, uh, difficulties with unexpected bills, and and let's say all of those things are true, right? But if they're going out to chain restaurants four times a week and they drive to Disneyland twice a year, well, that's the place to start when it comes to improving the situation. Doubling your salary would be nice. Getting a better job would be nice. Debt relief would be nice. Financial assistance would really help out. There's no doubt about that. And it's true that all of those things would greatly benefit your situation. But that's not the place to start. So the need to join a P5 conference, the need to spend more on recruiting, improve facilities, all of these things are true. But it's not the first step to consistently playing like the program that you're capable of being. And the losing plays, timely mistakes, bizarre lack of focus, weird moments of lack of mental toughness, all of that at key times, that's coming from the inside. That's not the outside. So let's get to one of the big questions here if, we, if we're going to examine it like this. Why is this happening? How did it get to this point? One of the reasons I think, and I think the biggest reasons why this happened over the past few years, is that BYU made a ton of mistakes when hiring the staff during Kalani's first year. Kalani, I still believe, has the capability to not just be the right hire, because I still think he's the right hire. I still think he has the capability to be a great coach at BYU. You know, first-time head coach, there's still a lot that he's learning, right? But I think he has all the capability to be a great coach for BYU. He has some more to prove, and I think the fans are curious to see what he's going to do in the next stretch of seasons. But that first staff included Ty Detmer. He had never managed a staff, had no experience coaching college football. And while we all love what he did during his playing days, coaching at this level comes with more challenges than most people probably realize. They had some other people on that staff, too, that lacked some experience, some key experience and expertise about coaching and college football. And it caught up to them. Now, I don't doubt that all these guys know the game of football or could even coach the game, but do you know how to run a program? Do you know all the things that come with running an actual, you know, Division I FBS college football program? There's so much to learn, which is why you see so many people have to climb the ladder for so many years to become a head coach. It's really tough. So the first year with Ty there, no one really notices anything because they had good leadership in place. And that carried the team to a long way culturally when it came to performance, right? They went 9-4. and four. They had a 4-1 and one record against the G5 teams. And then in the second year, it became the worst season in my lifetime. So while outside stuff can be a problem for BYU, that was an intrinsic mistake. And it was one that can become very problematic to recover from. That was an operational mistake that has nothing to do with all of the other complaints that take place with the program. It's one of the reasons why I'm glad they extended Kalani because you got to be fair to the guy. He needs more time uh, to be able to operate with a full staff that has experience, knowledge, and is truly ready to perform the job. So hiring Ty Detmer won the press conference. It got you a lot of media attention. You know, it got fans excited and you know, ready to go. Um, but when you make mistakes like you do with that kind of hire, uh, it can have damaging effects beyond just the bad year that took place. So I, I know that people love Ty Detmer, by the way, and I'm right there with you. 
But that was a really rough mistake. I have to be very honest with it. I was honest with it when I was hosting shows while it was all happening. Uh, I was on an island a few different times with that, and I know I took a ton of heat on Twitter. Um, and a lot of media members were very careful and hesitant because of the relationships and because they know him. And, and I got that. But we got to be honest here. Very few non-Power 5 programs recover quickly from that kind of error. So another thing that I hear about is how recruiting has been impacted so badly while being an independent. So I put some research to the test on this. Once again, one of the best ways to qualify data and, and to get quality data in this situation is compare BYU to their peers. So I think people really get mixed up when they start talking about BYU and the competition and they start comparing them to Utah and then other P5 teams on their schedule. Stop. It's not even a, a, um, a fair kind of conversation. You can't get good quality info when you're trying to compare teams that have wildly different budgets and wildly different talent levels. It's just, it's, it, it's not realistic. So anyway, when I put this together, I put BYU's recruiting ranking alongside Notre Dame's. Now, let me get this out of the way now before everyone goes nuts, because I'm sure some people listening are freaking out. I do not believe that BYU and Notre Dame are the same thing. But why it becomes relevant is because I can compare Notre Dame to their peers, which in this case is the other Power 5 programs that they're competing against, and then I compare BYU to their peers, and they are truly and the teams that they're truly competing against. The similarity between the two is that they're both independent religious institutions with certain disadvantages and advantages compared to their peers. I've never believed that BYU is the Notre Dame of the West, but I do believe that BYU can be similar as the Notre Dame of the non-Power Five. Huge difference. Not always, you know, I mean, you look at it, not always the best, right? Um, not always the absolute best, more financial advantages, certain disadvantages, some elite years, some bad years, but many times right in the thick of things, if they're operating right. I believe that BYU has what it takes to regularly be one of the best non-Power 5 teams in the country. That should be the next attainable expectation and goal. Bronco Mendenhall and his staff in the non-Power 5 with BYU during independence. His recruiting classes, 6th, 8th, 7th, 3rd, 3rd. And the year he left, he took off with the number one non-Power 5 recruiting class in the country. In that time, no non-Power 5 team had more four-star recruits. None. And by the way, uh, that's not even including some of the transfers he was able to you know, acquire during this window of time. Bronco was doing a dang good job of recruiting during a time period where there was a seismic shift in college football and the landscape, and especially in his own backyard. It was brutally difficult. In that same window of time that BYU's been an independent, Notre Dame against their peers, the Power Five, has ranked 9th, 17th, 5th, 11th, 13th, 15th, 10th, 10th, 16th, 17th. Go look at all of those years. They had a variety of different performance levels. They had an undefeated regular season. They had a 12-1 year. They made the playoffs one year. They had five years of 10-plus wins. They had two years they finished top five in the AP poll. And in the middle of all this, 
They had an abysmal four and eight year. They overhauled the staff immediately when that happened. They turned it around quickly. So my point is that Notre Dame, being an independent, has its downside. It, they have their downside as well. But it is their operation that is helping them perform and compete at a really high level or a really poor level against their peers. Independence is not the reason. And that's why I hate it when I hear people uh, constantly talk about how BYU somehow, some way, should struggle against San Diego State because they're independent. That's pathetic. It's pathetic. They just anytime something doesn't go right, it's like point the finger at the identity. There we go. Now we all feel better. It's just not the truth. BYU, since Bronco left uh, the program against their peers in recruiting, 6th, 11th, 15th, 14th, an enormous drop-off. And it goes back to what I told you about making catastrophic mistakes in the hiring process. Kalani is a great recruiter. And in my opinion, he can put together recruiting for that program and really get the most out of it with all of that together. I think he's capable of it. But there are other guys on that staff that are great recruiters as well, but it takes an entire staff to know how to recruit at a great level and then develop players at a great level and manage a staff and a program at a great level. It can take some time to turn that part around if you had many people in your recent past that were not capable of this. So since Bronco Mendenhall, by the way, took over at Virginia, he started with a recruiting class handed to him that was worse than BYU's recruiting class. So it was actually lower than Oregon State's as well, just looking at it. And then the classes got better, but they still finished behind Illinois, Rutgers, Northwestern, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Purdue, uh, Louisville. Behind all those teams over some of those years that he's been there. Now, it's possible that these classes were being overlooked, but you get my point. The ability to beat these teams in his class with what was going on intrinsically within the program. So when looking at the recruiting part overall for this, BYU's fall off in recruiting happened when looking at who you had on the staff as recruiters. Broncos' entire staff deserves a ton of credit for the earlier years of independence. They deserve a lot of uh, credit for what's happened there at Virginia, obviously. Um, but to say independence is the reason for the fall off in recruiting either means that kids waited eight years to suddenly realize that independence sucks or that Bronco Mendenhall is one of the greatest 10 coaches in the history of college football or that the operational part, the intrinsic part, is where it really begins and ends for that program when it comes to recruiting. So once again, to summarize that part, making really bad hires on a staff is what contributed to that, in my opinion. That's what contributed to that. So to conclude, BYU has the talent to do some great things. I think that there's a real positive outlook on the program because what they want to get done and what they're going to have to do to make that happen is actually easier. I think they, the, the simplicity of what they need to do to become the type of program that's really maxing out what they're capable of is easier than they realize. Um, I, I think it's about more the fundamentals, uh, certainly to do more than what they've done in the past couple of years. Uh, Kalani had this team 4-4 four and four in a stretch of eight games against P5 teams. Uh, he's 4-5, and five, I think, in his last nine total. That's actually awesome. 
If you're a non-Power 5 team and you're battling uphill like that, that's actually really, really good. And so, and it's not like those wins are just against, like, you know, Tennessee or Rutgers-level opponents. No, he beat USC, you know, a good USC team. He beat a really good Wisconsin team. So that's showing you he's capable of something great. He's capable of getting more out of his guys than what I expected while punching above his weight. That's good, especially by a G5 standard. But the realistic goal should be to land one of the elite non-Power 5 teams in the country. You should be one of those teams. BYU has some struggles and difficulties that they face that are out of their control. There's no doubt about it. But the purpose of this discussion wasn't for those to be ignored. What I want to point out is the importance not to neglect the self-inflicted wounds because before BYU ever sets realistic goals of doing something truly spectacular again, they need to get back to perfecting the solid. We all know winning is fun. And for Virginia last year and BYU going forward, the first step to winning is eliminating losing. Thanks again for listening to the Tony Parks Podcast. I love all of your feedback, so please email me, Cougar fans. Let me know your thoughts. TonyParks801 at gmail.com. You can follow me on all the social media channels at TonyParks801. And as always, uh, you can catch the next episode right here on the Utah Podcast Network.